You want to make sure that all your employees understand tax benefits that they have coming to them. So the child independent care tax credit is one example. And so you can have flyers, or you can provide workshops to help them with that. And you want to make sure that they feel that caregiving is valued and is not a stigma that you have other obligations outside of work. Um, and so that happens with policies and practices that you that you develop and that we know, and Mike, you just told me about your own family experience that um, caregiving does not stop. (laughs) And so um, certainly while they're in your home through age 18, you continue to have needs, but also your aging parents have needs. And so there are ways that you can incorporate family-friendly policies for both childcare and elder care. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. It is June, and summer is here. For many families with young children, that means vacations, summer enrichment programs, and Dad, I'm so bored. But for many families, summer also comes with the additional challenge of child care. And for families with infants and toddlers, that is a year-round challenge. So today, we're starting a two-episode discussion around the state of child care in the U.S. and its impact on employees. Next week, we'll dive deeper into the ways businesses are helping employees meet those challenges. And joining me today is Katie Ferrier. She is the VP of Education and Workforce Development for the San Antonio Chamber of Commerce, where she advocates for strong business climate and strong quality of life. And in that role, she partners with the Council for a Strong America's Ready Nation Project, where they address national issues affecting maintaining a skilled U.S. workforce. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Katie. Thank you. Glad to be here. So... You're with the San Antonio Chamber. What is the Ready Nation Project, and how do you, how does the Chamber plug into that? So this is a coalition of business leaders from across the country that come together to talk about how to build a stronger workforce and an economy. So we promote public policies and programs that do just that. And I started working with them here in Texas on the issue of child care. And then they invited me to come to D.C. last month, earlier this year, to uh, help them release their latest research report on the economic impact of the childcare crisis. And that's the report, $122 billion, the growing annual cost of the infant-toddler childcare crisis. Right. So focusing just on insufficient access to childcare for infants and toddlers. So this is kids under age three. The estimated cost is $122 billion in lost earnings, productivity, and tax revenue. From not having a childcare system that's, that's really resilient. Correct. Yes. So productivity could mean being late or absent for your employees um, because they haven't been able to, to, you know, their child care center is not open or it was far away and they got caught in traffic. Um, they're distracted at work because they keep getting calls from child care, the child care center or the nanny that there's a problem and they need to leave early, that they can't commit to take a trip for work 
or they have to turn down a special project at work. And so then, then that has a cost to employer. Their employee is not as focused and able to be as productive as they need. And then they have costs related to turnover if those employees have to quit or, in fact, be fired. And then you mentioned not being able to take a promotion. That's negative for the employer and the employee. I mean, that right. that, that court curtails development of the workforce in That's a lot right. of ways uh, where somebody, if... You know, none of us ever, and, you know, I am, I'm dancing a jig because we just finished our first year as being an empty nesters. And so we've got <laughs> all three of our sons off on somebody, you know, two of them off somebody else's payroll and one uh, paying for a ridiculous amount of college right now, but at least he's not under my roof. But I do remember those days, even as a business owner, there were days where I had to make choices. Okay, I'm going to do this or, you know, that'll generate revenue and move things forward, or am I going to do this other thing, which well, my kid's always going to win, right? And But if we make those cho- those choices or face those choices on an ongoing basis, I can see where, especially someone who's, you know, whose livelihood is and career is dependent on serving a company and, and doing that kind of, you know, and developing and growing would, would, right. would really cut those, those opportunities out. So it impacts their personal economies, certainly, and then it impacts the employer economy. But if there's less business and those individuals are earning less pay, then there's also less tax revenue for local and state governments. So it has an impact on all of us. It's not just a problem for uh, an individual parent who wants to go to work. And I think when we we talk about lack of access to child care, I think a lot of us have a gut instinct that we're talking about lower wage workers here. Um, who does this really affect? Econom- you know, what economic demographic does this really seem to affect? Well, we find that it's not just low-income families that are impacted. If you think about the cost of infant and, to- and toddler childcare, it costs more than private school college tuition in the majority of the states in the United States. So that is hitting people at the time of probably their lowest income earning potential. So you have to think about younger adults that have just entered the workforce that are perhaps paying off college student loan debt themselves. And then now we're asking them to shoulder the burden of enormous um, costs of childcare. So paying childcare is like paying for state college. That's yes, that's a big number. Yes. And you're paying it 12 months out of the year probably. Correct. And, and, and not just for, you know, six or eight or whatever two semesters looks like. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a big cost, and and so young professionals or even those, um, heaven forbid, and you know, uh, you know, later in our careers who uh, are uh, suddenly in a position where we're parents, maybe we're you know, we weren't maybe even expecting it, but you make those choices and decide you know you want to be the best parent possible, and that. You have, you know, but you've, you've got a range to, right. to take care of the kids. And it isn't just cost. It's also access. So a number of communities across the country are what are considered child care deserts. That means that there are so few centers or slots available. So it's not just centers. It could also be folks that provide care in their home available to children that you're on a waiting list for months at a time before you can have access to that. So when we're talking about Child care in general is 
are there strata of like what do we consider quality child care? I mean, I, I was you know I was that '80s kid who you know um, came home and was in front of the TV waiting for my parents to come home. You know those you know and I get the sense that a lot of parents today are a lot less comfortable with doing that. And maybe it's better for the kids that they weren't. I don't know that it did me any good to watch Power Rangers every day after school for a while. But Well, you can always enjoy Power Rangers. But um, So there are accreditation agencies, um, both at the national level and then in states, that will help establish good quality care. Um, and that does cost more. But there's proof that shows that if young brains are involved in enrichment activities, that, you know, it means a lot more. They're more successful in school when they get ready to enter kindergarten. They are prepared. And, um, you know, we know that brain development under the age of five is so crucial. And if a child starts in kindergarten behind, they very often stay behind. And so what kinds of issues affect that quality uh, of that of childcare? So the education of the providers that they are trained in in working with young babies and toddlers, um, that they understand de- brain development, um, that they have enrichment ac- activities that are age appropriate, and also that it's safe that they have our licensed uh, child care provider, that they've been inspected and that they have insurance coverage so that we can keep our precious babies as safe as possible. But I want to make a point here that the child care crisis is, not, is a two-generation problem. So yes, it's very important that we are helping our children be ready for school success in the future. But it's also to allow adults, our current workforce, to be prepared to go into work. So that's why we think that this is an issue that really deserves a lot of attention. And so I was in D.C. to advocate for our federal lawmakers to provide more resources to provide childcare access and make it more affordable, but also to support the industry, you know, stabilize that workforce. We've been We've seen centers um, closing all across the country, and that's very problematic. Yeah, I imagine COVID was really hard on that industry. You know, we, we're a background investigations company, and we do one of our unique niches is working with families and nanny agencies around the country uh, who are placing, you know, uh, nannies and, and really well-trained, well-qualified folks in people's homes to, to, to care for their kids. And I saw for those folks, their business went up because so many of the the quality facilities during COVID were shut down. So what did COVID do to the, you know, the destination care, you know, care facilities where where somebody would take their kids? Yeah, the centers were really impacted. So they had employees that couldn't come into work just like any other business because they were home caring for their own children or they had health concerns. Um, And then they had less children coming into the center, so they had less income. And then because of some of the safety mechanisms, they could care for fewer children. You know, they needed to have higher ratios of staff to children. And so that greatly impacted their income streams. And it's already a business model that has pretty tight numbers. Um, Now, many... um, 
governments, both the state and local as well as federal, sent out rescue payments to child care mm-hmm. providers across the country. And we have heard that that has helped a great deal, that they have stayed open or they were able to reopen. But those funds are running out. And so I know here in Texas that we are expecting another probably 30% of centers and providers to close um, by the fall because they won't have that revenue source anymore. And I can guess I would that there are parents who are making the choice, you know, we're, I mean, we're not past COVID. And, and I think we're probably a little bit more germaphobes than we were three years ago. So, you know, if I'm thinking about sending my kid to a child care center uh, of, you know, even a well-regarded one, I, I'm second guessing that myself there's some, because I want my kid to stay healthy and not be exposed. And we, you know, we always hear about, you know, my kid brought this home from school or whatever, and it, it infected the whole family. And so... I, I would guess that's that's really impacting uh, so at least some families' hesitancy to return to to that environment. But like you say, short of not doing that, then how do you how do you do the you know, how do you get the work done? How do you produce the income you need? Right, and, right. I mean, and that means that some families can make a choice, but not all parents have a choice. You right. know, if they're the sole breadwinner for their family. Um, they need to go to work and they need to make sure that their child is in a safe place. And don't we all want to make sure that that's possible for them? So you mentioned that uh, you were advocating at, an, at, at the congressional level, at the federal level, to, um, you know, for policies that would uh, help there. What kind of policies would those be? So expanding um Federal funding that goes to help subsidize child care, so lower-income families are able to access subsidies at their st- in their states, and it is only reaching um, about 40% of families that are eligible. So we'd like for more families to be able to access those. Um, it allows them to be fully involved in our economy and giving back, so we think it's well worth the return on investment. And are most of those programs at the federal level? Are there state level programs for those kinds of things? So to, they'll to send grants to states, and then states design their own programs based oh, on okay. that. Yeah, but I did make clear when I was visiting with um, member offices that I wasn't just coming to ask them to do their part. That we felt that the private sector has a role too. So I tried to give them examples of how I see employers trying to step up and help in their communities and help their employees. But one thing that I, when I have, um, you know, the, the U.S. Chamber also invites me to come and, and speak to folks. And um, so when they uh, ask me, I always encourage um, business leaders to, you need, you need to know your employees. I encourage you to survey them and find out what sort of caregiving needs that they have. And then that's going to help you develop programs that that work best for for you. Um, And it's important to ask them anonymously so that they can answer uh, truthfully about the demands that they have. But it may be that, you know, there's not as many folks that need infant care as you might have expected and that they need support in other ways. Um, You want to make sure that all your employees understand 
tax benefits that they have coming to them. So the Child Independent Care Tax Credit is one example. And so you can have flyers, or you can provide workshops to help them with that. And you want to make sure that they feel that caregiving is valued and is not a stigma that you have other obligations outside of work. Um, and so that happens with policies and practices that you that you develop and that we know, and Mike, you just told me about your own family experience that um, caregiving does not stop. (laughs) And so um, certainly while they're in your home through age 18, you continue to have needs, but also your aging parents have needs. And so there are ways that you can incorporate family-friendly policies for both childcare and elder care. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative. Premium background checks with fast and friendly service. 24 years ago, I found it imperative to help risk-averse companies make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. Often that involves giving employers thorough and easy-to-understand background checks on prospective employees. But sometimes it means helping families make well-informed decisions when hiring nannies or other caregivers. Outside of employment, we help services firms with their client acceptance and know-your-customer requirements. And we help investors research the principles in firms in which they are considering making private equity placements. Basically, if people are involved, there's risk involved. We help companies identify and mitigate that risk. You can learn more about Imperative at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on research credits. Then select episode 98 and enter the keyword childcare. That's C-H-I-L-D-C-A-R-E. And now back to my conversation with Katie Ferrier. So what are some of those, what, what are some, you know, we, we all went remote and a lot of us, including my company, stayed remote. And so that was a uh, you know, that's been interesting and it's been, you know, really positive for my young adult employees who, uh, you know, have young families. And I'll see, you know, we, we're constantly in contact via Zoom, uh, chat, and all of those things during the day. And I'll see somebody drop in a note saying, I'll be back in 15 minutes. I'm going to feed Asa or, you know, whatever it is. And we're really cool with that. And I think, I think the more, uh, Successful employers working remote have, have found that to be a real benefit. But what other policies are you seeing uh, employers implement that are that seem really helpful in, in this area? Yeah, if I could just add to that, I'll tell you that one good thing that came out of the pandemic and all of us working from home was that you couldn't deny that you had staff or colleagues that had children and you could see the impact that they had oh, yeah. on their ability to focus and work. And so I think that was really helpful to us to all be um, open and vulnerable with one another about those demands. And um, I'm, I'm pleased that it's allowed some people to think differently about how to support their staff. Um, so flexible work options, much like what you suggested about saying, you know, I'll be right back and that allowing parents to dip in and out of the workday if it has, if they have to deal with a sick child or they have school pickup or school drop off. And that as long as folks are delivering on their work outcomes, that you're understanding of that. But on the other side, for some workplaces, it's not remote. And as much as you can adopt consistent or predictable scheduling allows them to make 
caregiving decisions in advance and plan for that or budgeting um, for that care in advance, it's going to help them be more successful and have longer lasting relationships with caregivers. And I think that's something whenever that conversation around predictable work schedules comes up, and there have been there's been legislation at this at a number of state in a number of states around that. Those of us who work kind of white collar nine to five jobs really don't get the importance or what what it really means or don't think about it until it's pointed out to us. Can you talk a little bit more about what predictable work schedules means and what kinds of employees are really impacted by that? Sure, sure. So if they can know in advance, not just I've learned on Sunday what my next six days of work are, but if I know a couple of weeks out, if not longer, how many days I'll be working so that I can arrange care for my child. And that I know if I'm working the later shift those days that I've arranged for somebody to pick them up after school um, and that they can plan ahead um, and make sure that their child is safe and is in where they need to be. And that allows them to focus on work and not be constantly worried about what's happening with their child. And so these are shift workers often, restaurant employees, uh, folks who are uh, you know, scheduled according to business need, those kinds of things. And so that's right. That's right. So um, my brother's in hospitality and it's very frustrating for he and his wife that, you know, he only gets a week's notice and what his schedule is, but that um, in other hotels that he's visited, they do, they've planned it out in advance. So they know um, that this person works this shift. And sometimes it means that that person earns a little bit more because they may be taking a shift that's not as desirable. Um, but other times it's you take it for this period of time and then I get it another time. So that those families can plan ahead that they know they're going to need a nanny or they know they're going to need to carpool with that other family for the next um, you know, month, but then they can pick it up again and trade off. Um, so it, it just makes it easier for them. So predictable scheduling, uh, what other kinds of things are you seeing employers do that really help these, these, these kinds of employees? So they help subsidize care. So they may be giving cash payments. They may create flexible savings accounts that folks can use for child care. Um, sometimes I'll see them work out discounts directly with local providers. So it's really important that you know local providers surrounding your office or your facility. And then that's something that you can use as a recruitment tool. You know, let them know in advance, you know, here's some options that are close to work. So you can hit it on your commute or for shift work. If you're working outside of nine to five, here are some providers that are open late. I've also seen them develop contracts with um, uh, nurses for backup care, for sick care. So mm. their employees may have good relationships already of steady care, but then when their child is sick and they can't go into that center or they can't go into that other person's home, they have a hotline that they can call that morning and then arrange for care. Or sometimes I've seen them set aside um, accounts where we give you so many days of backup care that we will reimburse you. So you still have to find that caregiver, and maybe it's your mother-in-law or maybe it's a neighbor um, or you hire a babysitter to come in. But we'll help reimburse that care, you know, 50 to to $100 a day, depending on the market. 
how common is on-site child care? That conversation used to seem like it came up a lot, and I, I don't know that I've heard a lot about it post-COVID. Well, it's pretty expensive, <laughs> and uh, it's very time-intensive. I think there were some folks who were really excited to think about, oh, how fun it will be to be able to see the babies and our on site, and it'll be so easy then for our new parents to visit their children throughout the day if they're breastfeeding or just want to visit with them. But then once they you start doing the investigation of really what it takes to develop it on site, um, and a few years ago, the reimbursement that or the tax credit rather from the federal government of under up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars was worth it. It covered a pretty good amount of of creating that situation in your workplace. But now that's not as much the case. So we're seeing more uh, employers try to contract with third-party providers. So it may be doing some of the things that I've suggested that an individual employer could do, you know, providing a resource list of local providers, helping to run the, the flexible spending accounts, and also helping to find, um, you know, local providers that would would reserve seats or would provide um, other, you know, discounts for that. And then it also will work with your employees about maximizing their tax credits too. And you mentioned earlier about the, you know, working with organizations that were accredited and, and I certainly, I know certainly when I'm on talking to nanny agency owners, they have, you know, long list of educational opportunities and certifications and so we're really not talking just about babysitting here, right? I mean, it's uh, we're really yeah. talking about investing in 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 our workforce in a lot of ways, uh, yes. you know, as a, as a country and as as employers, and 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 helping ensure that that next generation of of citizen and employee is is developed and ready. And uh, and certainly in the summer, we see you know all the studies about how far back two or three months of a lack of activity, uh, you know, uh, of, of schooling or whatever impacts, uh, especially underserved uh, communities, kids. Um, and so th that ongoing investment and in making sure that, that these kids are engaged and they're learning uh, seems like a no-brainer, right? I mean, it, you know, of all the dumb things that we spend money on, this seems like one that would be an obvious thing for both the government and uh, employers to invest in. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. I certainly think it seems obvious. And I'm the crazy libertarian in most of the circles <laughs> I hang out in, and I still think this is a it seems like a good idea. It is a good um, a good idea. It is a very good investment. Um, you know, I we are not talking about just plopping little babies in a room with a pile of toys and occasionally changing their diaper. No, these are. Uh, instructors, educators that are working with our children um, to help them uh, learn their numbers and colors, certainly, but also about how to collaborate with others and how to communicate with folks that are not in your family. And that's really important for them to develop relationships with folks that are not their parents or not their siblings. It makes them more ready for school. So if, if I'm an employer and I see that Maybe I've, I've I, you know, I'm having employees who are calling out on a pretty regular basis, or you know, claiming PTO, burning up their PTO for a variety of what kind of issues beyond you know should should I be paying attention to to suggest maybe 
I, I've got an issue here with my workforce that I, I might be able to help them with. Yeah, well, like I said, I think it's really important that you ask them because it may be that um, it's something very clear and straightforward that, you know, they're sharing a car and it makes it harder to, to drop off the child on time and get to work on time. But other times it may be that their uh, slot is no longer available. And so now they're having to piecemeal together with other caregivers to watch their child and it makes them very uncomfortable or that individual is not you know, able to handle it. So they're constantly calling about a behavior issue, or I don't know where this is. And, you know, you need to tell me how many, um, you know, ounces of formula they should be getting today and things like that. And that's, we don't want them to have to make those choices. And so um, I think it's really important, though, that you can't always predict what that problem may be. So you do need to ask them. And um, and that's something that you can ask, um, you know, very early on and in a supportive way that folks feel like they can be honest and ask and answering. Yeah. One thing I've seen is is one of our our just best employees uh, and most valuable employees uh, has, has child care uh, on a consistent basis with a private provider. But if that provider is sick... She's scrambling to find uh, childcare for for her kid, you know, and, you know, and and still be there for the company. And and she's one of those employees that I'm I'm blessed to have who, all you know, is all will always try to find a way to make it work. And sometimes I think we have to push back a little bit and say, "Hey, just take the day, right? Do what you got to do." And and you know, because it's you know, I, one thing we've experienced personally is in, in our firm is that it's almost impossible, especially with the small younger children, to multitask, uh, to take, you know, and, and heaven forbid, I mean, if I ever had to do that, I would be useless, uh, you know, to both the kid and the job. I, you know, it's, uh, um, but the, uh, and, and just, you know, there's days where we just have to say, you know, take the time. That's what the PTO is for. Uh, and even if their PTO is gone, we're, you know, we as a company are never going to penalize an employee for taking care of their family. That's, you know, and, uh, and I'm, I'm lucky that I've got, you know, a whole group of exceptional employees who support each other as well. But I think there's a lot of that probably under the radar in larger organizations and they don't even recognize what's really going on. So suddenly you've got an employee who, who seems like they're not engaged or not supporting, uh, what's going on in the organization isn't, you know, and in in reality, uh, they've got other issues. And if you don't ask, you're not going to know. That's right. That's right. Because it's very often, um, you know, I've heard some people describe it as I'm living in a house of cards, that all it takes is for one little thing to go wrong. And I certainly have experienced that as a parent myself, that, you know, if uh, my carefully constructed arrangements of how I have my work schedule and my daughter's care schedule and the care for my parents, if one thing gets out of whack or is not sure. what I expected it to be, it has a ripple effect throughout everything. And um, it can be very stressful and it has made me have to change plans um, where un- unexpectedly. So... Any last words of advice to employers who really, you know, who really want to make it easier for their employees to be amazing employees and amazing parents? Yes. Um, It's that please do ask and try to help. 
but also recognize that you're not alone in this, that there are other agencies that, that want to be contributing to this solution. It shouldn't be up to each individual employer to solve this crisis for all of their employees. Um, you know, you should be letting your local elected officials know that this is a problem. You should consult other employers in your community and see how they are handling it. And maybe you can combine resources. And you should definitely uh, let folks like Ready Nation know. Um, and we'd love to help you, too. And as, as a business owner, I can say that your local chamber uh, probably has a workforce uh, development uh, and business attraction and retention functions, and they can probably put you in, in contact uh, uh, with with other employers who are going through the same things, but also the right people and plug you right into the right organizations right. to get yes. that support. And you don't have to have all the answers, and um, and don't expect everyone you call to have all the answers. We are. This is a, a major crisis across the country, and we are all still figuring it out. But that shouldn't stop us from trying to do so. Well, that is the time we have. I Thank you for joining me today, Katie. Thank you. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperative's marketing coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up. <laughs>